Hello everyone, this is episode 21 of Network Collective, and on today's episode we're going to be talking about some of our favorite tools. Whether you're talking about hardware or software, our tools help us get things done more efficiently and help us interact with the many levels of abstraction that we deal with on a daily basis. As usual, we also have a couple of great uh, guest engineers joining us to share their insights as well. This episode is being sponsored in part by Cumulus Networks, makers of the world's most flexible network operating system, Cumulus Linux. We're excited to welcome them on as a sponsor of Network Collective, and we'll share more about some of the exciting things they're doing later on in the show. So yeah, let's get to it. I want to welcome Hank Yeomans and JD on as our guests for this episode. Uh, we're talking about tools, and let's get started about talking about software. Do any of you have a favorite software tool that you think everyone needs to know about? Uh, I think my favorite is um, Secure CRT. My two favorites uh, would be Secure CRT and um, and Sublime uh, for a text editor. Um, Secure CRT mainly because um, you can you know do a lot of colorization and uh, uh, host you know uh, host option saving and such. So I mean, let's expand on that a bit. So Secure CRT. So I mean, I agree that at the heart of it, a terminal emulator of some kind is pretty important, but what makes secure CRT or the emulator of your choice better than like putty? Uh, well, so there's a lot of um, customization that you can go into secure CRT that you can't with putty so much. Uh, I have mine set up with a bunch of different words that get colorized as I'm going through. If you're go dealing with lots of uh, interfaces and such, it's, it's nice to be able to easily pick out things like uh, I, I have a different color for the word disabled or not connected or, uh, down the word down um, and some other words just throw off different colors uh, when you're dealing with lots of text of the same color it's nice to be able to just easily pick those out that's a cool idea I, I that's something I never heard before and now I'm gonna go do uh. <laughs> I, I actually have a, a zip file that I can send you um, that has all of has an XML file um, that I can share with you. Yeah, if you're willing to share cool. that, well, actually, we get the lit up on the website and, right. and let the people download that. Because I also, like, I've been, if you uh, that I've used secure CRT for a long time. I've never done the colorization thing. So I have lots of reasons why I like secure CRT. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like my, the way it handles sessions, the way it can do automatic logins. So for me, I'm, like, I work as a consultant. So I have lots and lots of different customers. And so I can organize all my connections into their own folders and, and, and just get into things relatively uh, easily. Um, and then also some of the scripting capabilities. And so if I have a lot of devices I want to do editing against, uh, and I'm doing the same thing. Uh, Secure CRT has something called the chat window where it will send um, the same command to all the devices you have opened or a subsection of them. Um, and I find that really handy. So like if I'm making a, a global change on, you know, I don't know, 50, 100 devices, whatever, you know, like I can send that same command all at the same time to all of them rather than having to type it in a hundred different times or write or write a script to do that. Um, the, the other thing is uh, from a scripting perspective is it'll actually input things like, you know, like your Python script. Uh, there's variables and ways right. to inter interact with that system. Uh, I haven't done a ton of that. I've actually written tools for other people that wanted stuff for that. I never have taken the time uh, to do it for myself, but I mean, it, it is a really interesting, you know, way to interact with the system is that you can kick off a script and you know, gain some variables from secure CRT itself, use them in your script and then feedback you know, commands. And so there's, some, there's a lot of flexibility. I know secure CRT isn't the only like great terminal emulator though. I know there's some fans of like iTerm2 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I use that on my Mac. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I use as well. And, um, you know, I, I haven't tried colorization on it. That's actually, that's an interesting thought. And, and uh, a note I've just made for myself is, you know, to, to see if that's something I can do, because it is incredibly flexible and does allow a, a lot of those things. I think uh, there's a lot of plugins that may that may extend, um, you know, some of the features that you see in C- uh, Secure CRT, but it's certainly not all available natively just out of the box. Um, but especially colorization, that's one I really like the idea of, and that's, that's something I'm going to have to check out. Um, I find it funny that you also, uh, you know, you mentioned Secure CRT, and then right after that immediately said Sublime Text. And, and in my case, it's iTerm and Sublime Text. I mean, there's no question <laughs> about it, uh, which is also another one of those highly extensible applications that you can, you know, put in a lot of different plugins that make it easy to, you know, whether whether you're scripting in Python or whether you're you're even, you know, Cisco iOS or whatever that, you know, keyword highlighting, things along those lines um, that, that, you know, uh, you, you can take it out of the box, but you can also really customize it for, for your uh, you know, your workflow. And I think that that's, that's really important with, 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 any, with any of those tools. One of the things that, that I do, and it's purely aesthetic, but there is a, a color scheme called Solarized, which is yes. uh, very easy on the eyes. It's more um, muted colors, but it's it, and it's it's attractive and it makes things easier to read. And uh, I all of my terminals and all of my text uh, editors are uh, configured with Solarized just because I've, it's so much easier to read. And when you're staring at, you know, text all day, anything you can do to make that more pleasant, um, it just, just makes life better. So yeah. along those same lines, fonts matter a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, like, yeah. it's one of those things that I never realized until I started, you know, hearing some other people talk about it. And then I started using some like good fixed width fonts in my terminal. Like the stuff, the stuff that comes by default usually isn't very good. And so, like, uh, my favorite, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, is Source Code, Source Code Pro. Um, it's just a really super clean font, easy to use. It's not, you know, it's free. You can go download it yourself if you're interested in checking it out. Um, and I use that, like, in all of my terminal windows because it's just, you know, again, you want it fixed width so that when you have those things that are pre-formatted and, you know, they come out in your terminal window, you want them to look like they're supposed to. Right. Um, but yeah, man, like using a, using a good font does a lot as well to, to help the eyes when you're stuck in a terminal for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't, I haven't seen the solar, uh, solarize. Is, is that what you said, Yvonne? Yeah. I think sublime does that, right. Or there's a couple of others that do that too. The, yeah. I'm, I'm not quite, I was just thinking, I'm not quite certain the color profiles I use, but it's always black background, white text <laughs> in everything. It's black background, white text, um, for, for that, for that exact reason. Um, Cause yeah, yeah Google it. There's all kinds of, I mean, they've got a website and okay, great. it's really neat. And uh, the, the idea for colorization, if you guys are familiar with Vim or VI, mm-hmm. um, VI, you can do colorization. Now it's, it's harder to get going, but um, you know, they've made it a lot easier with, with sublime and some other text editors and secure CRT. Um, so. Vim is like the ultimate black hole. If you don't yeah. know, if you've never been in it, right. uh, good, good luck getting out. So Sublime <laughs> was the only thing that really got me away from Vim. It's been Vim mm-hmm. for many years. A super uh, powerful tool. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it, I mean, well, okay. First off, I want to comment about the fact that it's really, really sad that we start off the show. We talk about a text editor and a terminal, terminal emulator. Um, like, like these are tools that have been around for like forever, but I will say, I think for me uh, being a consultant and being in a lot of different places, um, it's hard for me to take around like a, you know, a tool set that's, that's complicated or involved. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I really need something that is portable because a lot of times I'm like, I'm working from a jump box and it's super easy for me to install Sublime Text on a jump box uh, or maybe even a trial of Secure CRT if that's what I'm using and I need. Um, it's really hard if my list of tools is, you know, you know, 400 deep and this little thing does this little thing. So Sublime Text, I just have found to be just an immensely valuable tool because of the flexibility. And one of the features that I want to bring up about Sublime Text, and I know it exists in other editors as well, is uh, regex search and replace. Mm. Uh, and so, so if, if you don't know regex, it's like one of those tools is like, why would I ever need to learn that? And then you learn it and you start finding applications for it. And then like, I use it every single day. So many lines at the same time too. Right. Sublime, you have a hundred lines and you can edit them all at the same time. Right. So I can pull out just the interface name and the VLAN that is attached to out of an, out of entire configuration. I can just, I can only match those things. And because it's, because it's regex, I can, I can take that and make the interface number a variable and I can make the VLAN number a variable. So I still match it. It's not just every interface that's in VLAN 10, it's every interface and every VLAN and get just that output and then do something special with that. And also being able to save variables and move stuff around. It's just, it's, um, it's just one of those things that I think that the more you use it, the more powerful you realize it is. And then being able to have that straight in your text editor is just really, really convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, yeah, Sublime Text, um, you know, I know like Notepad++ is another popular option. So whenever I'm working on a Windows system, like that used yeah. to be that used to be the default go-to. Um, but Sublime is cross-platform, and I just have gotten so hooked on it now that yeah. it just doesn't matter where I'm working. Like that's that's my preferred uh, text editor. Yeah, that was definitely one of those tools. You know, I used it for uh, probably used it for three to six months, and went to install it on a new computer. And you know, there, there's I forget if it's a pop-up or something along those lines. It basically says, hey, you know feel free to use this, but there is a paid version. And, and I remember kind of thinking about that for maybe a second and a half going, you know what, as much as I use this, yes, I will pay for it. I'll, I'll happily pay for it. Yeah. It comes out as like nagware, right? And it's not right. super yeah. annoying. Nagware. It's not. Yeah. It's like every 15th or 30th save. Yeah. Right. It yeah. says, Hey, by the way, there's a paid version. So if you're yeah. super cheap and you want to use it, they give you an avenue to do that. They know that people are doing that. So it's not like it's like you're stealing it or anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not cheap, right? right. I mean, it's yeah. like 70 it, yeah. or 80 bucks or something like that. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but the amount of time it saved me, it's worth every penny. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, I guess that's, that's exactly my point with it is, yeah. is after using it for a pretty short period of time, um, you know, when, when that, when that popped up, there was no question in my mind that it was worth it and not out of my employer's, you know, pocket, out of my pocket. I was like, this is a tool that I'm going to keep using that I'm going to keep with me. And, and um, you know, that, that whether the employer will buy it or not, it's important enough, you know, for me to have it. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that was definitely, uh, you know, that, I, I think that, that, that tells you if it, you know, ultimately, you know, when you place a value on something, will you pay for it? And in that case, it was no question about it. Absolutely. Right. I mean, every tool we've mentioned so far is a pay for tool, right? Yep. I term two, I term two is not that expensive. Is it? It's a few dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I forget not, exactly, but there's definitely a the most, Right. Yes, yeah, that's but a what like a hundred bucks or something about, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but one one of the other features that I like about Secure CRT that people don't often talk about is your jump box. You know, as a consultant myself, a few times have been jump box access that will have access to a WLC. Sometimes it's easy to get there via GUI, um, and so you set up your Secure CRT as a proxy, as a SOX proxy, and then you open up your own web browser, which will then have Secure CRT proxy over to the jump box over to the WLC so that you can get to the WLC 
in GUI on your own machine, but through that jump box. So, so nice. Just nice. I've learned something. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that's the point of this show. <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> and yeah, well, guys, that was a great show. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, uh, one, of my, one of my other things that like is an absolute must for me, again, speaking from the, you know, the perspective of a consultant is, is automatic logging. And so to me, I log every single session that I, yep. that I do because, you know, <laughs> customer comes back and says, this happened at this time. I can go back and take a look at my logs and see what Absolutely. I was doing at that time. Um, also a little bit of CYA, you know, like sure. did yes. you do anything here? No, I wasn't doing anything anywhere near where that, you know, yes, mm -hmm. your, your coffee maker stopped working. It had nothing to do with my work on the course, switch. sorry. Um, yeah, that type of stuff. Um, and so one of the things in secure CRT that's really uh, valuable is that you can set variables. Um, and so like it will automatically log the date, the time, those types of things. Mm -hmm. When you log in, it will log when you, when you exit the session, um, you can set it to, you know, randomly insert, uh, a timestamp. So, you know, you know, again, kind of keep an eye on when a session is open, new files for every day so that you can, you know, go back and look through, okay, this was modified this day. Um, and then for me, every customer folder, their logs just go in their customer folder. And so I can go back to every customer I've had and every device I've ever touched. And I can tell you what I did three years ago. Like <laughs> there's no question. Right. And so to me, that's an important tool. I don't know. Does iTerm have that type of capability? It does. Yeah, it absolutely does. Uh, and I, I'm in the exact same boat, uh, in that I log everything, every single session, uh, gets logged. And, and I even, um, and, and I think this is another important note is I have those logs saved to, and, and you can put it in different places. You know, if you're a Mac user, you can put it iCloud. If you, if, if not, you can put it in Dropbox, right? So that gets always gets stored in some place that gets synced across, you know, multiple machines. Um, so that, um, number one, my settings, you know, are always the same across. So if I make a change on one machine, it's automatically updated on a, on a different machine, mm -hmm. but more importantly, but yeah, I've got access to those logs. So, because I mean, you know, you get called in on the weekend and, and suddenly, you know, realize, okay, uh, you know, I was doing that work on, on this machine, but that machine's still at home and, you know, I've got, I've, but I still have that on my desktop. I can, I can take a look at it. I can see what, I, what happened or, or, or uh, maybe it's a, maybe it's a configuration that I had to put on previously onto a different device, something along those lines. Um, I, th I think that's, that's definitely, you know, key, but absolutely that is, that is an, um, a feature of the, of the application. And that's a, that's a good mention too. just tools like, um, you know, cloud um, file shares, you know, Dropbox mm -hmm. or iCloud or OneDrive. Um, my only comment there is you want to be sure you understand the, the policies right. of the people whose systems you're logging into. Um, because there, there are folks who might not like the idea that, you know, sure. their show runs are sitting in your Dropbox somewhere. So uh, keep that in mind. But yes, the ability to be able to connect and, and keep those things in some sort of centralized cloud store. I mean, I do that with everything, all of my personal files now. Like, you know, if, if the hard drive on my device blows up tomorrow, everything I really need is in right. the cloud somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, think, I think you bring up a great point there. Um, you know, in my case, I, I work for a, you know, I work for my employer. You know, I, I'm not a, I'm not a consultant. Um, I do consulting on the side occasionally, and you're exactly right. In those situations, it, it requires a completely different level of, you know, security and trust there. Um, you know, um, so I have access to all of that for my employer all the time. 
Um, and, and I'm also very careful that when I leave an employer, so, um, you know, I previously worked for a different company, you know, two and a half years ago. Uh, when I left there, you know, I spent a solid hour and a half going through and making certain that I purged everything that I had of theirs. Because number one, I don't want anyone to ever come back and say, hey, you know, we, we know you have this, right? Uh, and there's and there's that, uh, there, you have to be very careful with, okay, what is their, you um, uh, intellectual property exactly what's their intellectual property and then what are the tools that i um, that i maintain for myself right whether it's something i develop in in the evenings or you know tools that i've, I've developed across multiple uh you know employers so I, i'm very careful to keep that stuff separate uh you know so that it's very clear this is this is their intellectual property this is their you know security stuff whatever that goes away that forever that gets deleted and out you know uh, depending upon the application, you can even go in and delete from from archives and things along those lines, right? Um, and and that's so that's that's an absolute great point. And in my case, it's easier from a consulting perspective. You guys have it a little harder. Yeah, I mean, I do I do sync across machines, but I don't do it across Dropbox or any of the you right. know, public services. Um, so I, I have you know two different laptops that I can use. One's my primary for work. Another one is if that one's not working, I have another machine that I can use. And uh, I do need those two synced so that I can pick either, either one up and go. Um, but that sync happens through different mechanisms on private networks rather than right. sending out in public. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Like you know, I think it'd be really bad. I think my customers might be a little angry if you know Dropbox gets hacked and you know Absolutely. because of me their configs are out there. So that's not a not a good. Good place to be. For some yeah. of the more stringent instances, what I've done is I've made an encrypted share, mm -hmm. and then it ends up looking like a file on Dropbox, but it's in right. I mean, that would be a way to do yeah. it. Yeah. And then, you'd have to make sure your customers were, you know, comfortable with that. With um, anything. <laughs> yeah, because because even that, you know, I don't know. Uh, like, I mean, for me, you and me, I think everyone, probably most people watching this, know that that's a completely valid way to do it. Yeah. Um, but man, just. There's, you know, a certain level of fun. Doesn't mean with, lawyers yeah, understand. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've talked a lot about, you know, different terminal software. We talked about different, you know, text editors and those things. We did briefly mention Putty. I mean, that's like the, you know, the industry standard go-to when you don't have one. It's free. There are some extensions to Putty. Uh, I haven't played around with them a lot, but like session managers where you can have multiple tabs open, those types of things. And so, I mean, you know. Sometimes you don't have the money to spend on a hundred dollar terminal emulator. Or you need something Sometimes. quick or, yeah, you know, right. I mean, exactly. Punny's always an easy go-to if you don't exactly. have anything right. else. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah, I think we'd be remiss not to mention it, right? Like we got to talk about right. Putty because it's just one of those things that if I'm in a box that isn't mine and I need, I need SSH, like, okay, like that's where I go. Like right. that's it. Yeah. Well, you know, years ago um, when I did use windows, um, I used a, a kind of a wrapper around Putty. I, I believe it was called M remote NG if I remember correctly. And, and it had a lot of those features you were talking about bookmarking and things along those lines. And when I made the transition to, uh, to Mac OS or OS X, the time um you know that was something i really missed and i, I was kind of looking for you know a solution for it uh you know secure crt as you guys mentioned does bookmarking and, and that kind of helps a lot um but I, I really couldn't find anything i um you know really really liked uh from that perspective and and at the time i wasn't willing to pay for secure crt i may be now but i don't know i've, I've got such a great workflow in iterm that you know I, I i like where i'm at and what and and so it's sometimes it's the 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 stupid simple stuff that works out 
And I suddenly realized one day as I was scratching my head on this, that all I really needed was a, a, a flat file somewhere with, because, I, because usernames and passwords, I'm not going to, you know, I generally don't store uh, for that stuff. Um, so what I really need is a, is, you know, a host name and an IP address. And so I just simply created a, a flat file uh, um, and I call it on all my machines, it's called host. And I put it at the root of, of my user directory and I grep for whatever I need. And, and it, it's one of those things that when it finally hit me, like, this is stupid, simple. Like, why am I, you know, why am I, you know, you know, beating my head against the wall here? Um, you know, I'll, I'll edit it and, and, you know, VI or Nano or whatever happens to just fly, you know, off at the time. Um, and uh, also that's one of those I created, uh, uh, actually it's, it, exa it exists in a, a, a private cloud in this case. Um, and uh, I created an alias on, on the machines I use. Uh, and so it's just, a, it's just a list. And that's ultimately most of the time, that's all we need, right? We need, a, we, we need because it's impossible to remember when you're managing 500 devices, what, the, what all of the IP addresses are. Um, so that, sometimes I think it's the simple stuff that can be easiest. Um, and I, I think um, kind of going back with the, the regex conversation, um, you know, you can, you can do a lot of things and using regex, for example, pull those host names out, um, the IPs out, create something really usable really fast uh, that, that uh, can, can kind of go a long ways. And do you really need a bookmarking, you know, bookmarking after that? Yeah, I mean, so to me, like that, that sounds great if I work in a static environment, right? <laughs> you know, like to me, that sounds that sounds completely usable. I could I could work with that system if I'm working, but like I don't remember what the host names are for all the devices that sure. I was at a customer a year and a half ago, right? And I'm walked back in because you know the network is melting down, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's like okay, um, so so part of that for me is just that that structure of an organization. I imagine you could even do that with that idea of of you know, creating a file, but structuring yeah. it based off of right. customers and then, and whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's really, it's, it's not even about the host name. It's about what the device is, right? So if it's yeah. core one and core two, you know, that, or that, that, that's me too. Like every, 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 every customer, like my hierarchy is customer core switches or like site cores, exactly. access, wireless, exactly. like, yeah. That, yeah. yeah, that's that's really the way that 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 um, you know file is is listed, and there'll be there'll be host names uh, in you know in some situations because uh, you know I prefer to I prefer to make the host name something that's pretty clear, you know, yeah. uh, um, you know I don't I I I've worked with in in environments where they name servers you know off uh, you know based on local street names and things along those lines, and that drives me up the up the wall. Yeah, um, but uh, so I'm I'm generally pretty clear on that. But even if I'm not or if it's one of those environments, I'm not going to put a host name in because I don't care. I'm going to put in this is core one and this is core two and this is, you know, ag and, and distribution and, and whatever. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. those are the things you really need to you, you really care about. All right. Um, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Cumulus Networks is bringing web scale networking to the enterprise cloud. With Cumulus Linux, you can build a data center network as efficient and as flexible as the world's largest data centers. The NetQ tool built into Cumulus Linux provides intelligence and visibility of your entire fabric from a single interface. Reduce troubleshooting time and improve operational support by querying your entire network with NetQ. 
The power of Linux has transformed our data center servers, and now it's transforming the network. If you are a network engineer who wants to brush up on your Linux skills, Cumulus is offering a free Linux 101 ebook. Expand your networking knowledge, learn the history of Linux and Linux network administration with this free 90 page ebook. You can download now at cumulusnetworks.com slash network collective Linux. So we've talked a lot about uh, text editors and terminal emulation. I want to kind of like, you know, turn the page a bit. Let's talk about some other tools that we use. Is there anything else we want to discuss? I think, um, you know, I, I don't think any of us can can probably get through a month without at least a few times pulling out uh, PCAPs. And, and whether you look at that through, you know, Wireshark or you look at that through, uh, you know, some other tool, um, I think that is, you know, kind of a bread and butter tool for us. Um, you know, the, 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 there's a there's a T-shirt I love. Um, I don't have it, but I kind of wish I did that says, uh, you know, PCAP or it didn't happen. Oh, I and, wish you would have told me. I absolutely have that shirt. <laughs> I <would've>... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, there's 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 a lot of truth to that. In fact, I was dealing with that um, literally yesterday. Um, and, uh, and actually using a different tool, uh, I've got here and I'll kind of, I kind of showed on camera. Uh, this is a, a wireless sensor of all things. It's uh, Cape networks. Uh, uh, I first discovered these guys at wireless line professionals, uh, the wireless line professionals conference last year. And then at mobility field day two, uh, I was a delegate and, and got the chance to talk to them more. And, and, uh, we, we got a sensor to, to begin trying. Um, I, within the first week of, uh, in fact, got, got back and uh, decided to take it to work. And within the first week, it helped me resolve a problem. And we then bought uh, multiple sensors for, for, my, for my office network. Um, the beauty of it, and, and the reason I'm bringing it up in this case, is um, you, can, you can do a lot more than just troubleshoot wireless with it. You know, it's ultimately a wireless client and it's ultimately running scheduled tests. And every test it runs, it capture, it creates a PCAP for it. And if it's successful, then, you know, um, that, you know, that PCAP, you know, doesn't exist for very long. It's not very useful, whatever. But anytime there's a problem, you have a PCAP to go back to for the last 30 days. And so in this particular case of all things, uh, so we, um, our website is hosted by an external company. It's, it's uh, I would say managed even by an external company. Uh, and we were having problems, especially internally, we saw a lot of problems accessing, uh, you know, this website that's, that's hosted externally. And they, the external company said, you know, this is, this is a problem with your network. And I did, you know, standard troubleshooting and went, mm, I don't, I don't think this is a problem with our network. And, and I checked my, my Cape network uh, sensors and they were seeing issues and, and they were seeing things, you know, they were all seeing similar problems. Um, but again, they were also all inside my network. So I logged into my home Cape sensor and began, you know, set up, set up test. And then it also saw the problem. And so now I said, okay, this is outside of our network. I have a, PCAP, here it is, I sent it to them. Uh, and in fact, yesterday morning, uh, checked again, and um, the I saw where, uh, you know, high jitter, high latency, lot, you know, lots of packets being dropped. Um, I saw a session, you know, an actual um, uh, uh, session, you know, that was trying to download a web page, wasn't able to do it, timeout after 10 seconds. Um, and then at 9.30 uh, the previous night, I saw suddenly two minutes of complete outage and then it came back and everything was, everything was perfect. 
And so when we contacted the company the first time, they said, yeah, no, that, that's not us. There was, there was nothing wrong. And then when I sent them a PCAP and sent them this, you know, th this, this nice, you know, this nice diagram that clearly shows there was no response from outside of our network uh, and inside our network for three minutes. And then everything went back to normal. They went, Oh, okay. Yeah. So we had a database problem that we had to resolve, you know? So, uh, yeah. You know, so yeah. Yeah. Right. So, 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 so there's a lot of truth to the, to the PCAP where it didn't happen, especially if you're, if you're dealing with outside vendors, yeah. uh, but, e but even internally, you know, dealing with, uh, dealing with maybe other, other groups, if you've got systems, if you're a network guy and you have to deal with systems guys and, and you're saying, Hey, you know, I think there's a problem with DHCP and they're going, Oh, well, you know, everyone's getting IP addresses or we're not seeing it or whatever. And you can find, you know, you can find, you, you can create a, a PCAP that actually has that, has that. So I think that's, that's, Man, and I mean, I mean it, this could be a whole show, right? Like it absolutely could be a whole show on, ju on just the nature of capture and how to, how to do it. It's one of the things I think that a lot of companies don't do well. And, and you mentioned a scenario where you have like regular captures from regular points of view. Right. Like, I, I think that that's almost a requirement that most people never even think about. Um, and, and it is so unbelievably powerful. So I came out of a environment where we had a, a lot of call centers and voice traffic. And so we would receive voice traffic from customers. We'd send it across our network to a call center. And so, you know, you get that call and it's like, hey, uh, voice was bad. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, voice could be bad anywhere. It could be bad in their network. It could have been bad in the transfer to us. It could have been bad from the transfer from our pop to our colo. And so like having a capture at each of those points and being able to go back to that and say, okay, here it is. And so like, this is where Wireshark is just that, you know, like super powerful tool. I have the device to capture that PCAP file and then I can analyze it. And like, oh, this is a SIP call. I can pull it out. I can actually listen to it. I can listen to the quality at every step along the way, not just at the handset. Mm -hmm. um, I can look at it and see like, okay, you know, here, you know, we're sending you this session and we're getting resets back. <laughs> you know, like, why is that happening? Why are you sending me resets? You shouldn't be doing that or whatever. Like getting that level of visibility is the ultimate source of truth about what's happening. I think, you know, any network administrator or engineer who doesn't use it regularly should be. Um, and uh, oh, go ahead, Hank. Go ahead, Yvonne. Okay. Um, and I think there's something to be said for, you know, learning um, your your own protocol analysis so that when you use Wireshark, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about, you know, getting PCAPs and such and sending them to something else and letting that do the analysis, you know, because it's easier, they might do it differently. But um, there's something to be said for your own cursory analysis going mm -hmm. through those PCAPs yourself on Wireshark and such rather than, rather than completely relying <laughs> on something else from the get-go. Outside of troubleshooting, it's a great learning tool. Yeah. If you want to see if you want to see how DHCP actually works, you read you, through Wireshark. Do, do, do a DHCP request and look at every packet that goes across the network. You'll get a pretty good idea how it works. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I mean, I I used it extensively, like when I was studying for CCIE, and as we were as I was learning a protocol to understand the nuts and bolts about a request that was happening, so that I really understood what was going on. I didn't have some you know interpretation of what was going on uh, in my head. Yeah, it's just one of those things that. You know, when it comes down to it, all the fancy stuff that we have for configuration, abstraction, whatever, it all comes down to packets and frames on the wire and what they're actually doing. And, and that, like I said, is the ultimate source of truth. And real quickly, I learned about a cool tool um, at uh, Network Field Day called CloudShark, which is a cloud-based uh, Wireshark. Basically, you can upload your packet capture and, and view your packet capture in uh, 
you know, in a browser. So if you needed to share with support or somebody else at another office, you wanted to go through a packet capture together, you could use CloudShark. So it's, it's a cloud-based packet capture tool that looks very much like Wireshark. Oh, that's that's cool. awesome. I didn't know about that. I'm gonna have to look that one up. Yeah, Thank there's you. actually some cool integrations with that as well. Uh, I'm about to say something nice about Meraki, which those of you who know me know I've had a fairly rocky relationship with Meraki. Enterprise um, grade. Yeah, enterprise grade. But anyway, so the uh, Meraki, like in, so one of the, one of the beautiful things about Meraki, if you're running a Meraki infrastructure is that you can, you can capture from just about anywhere on the network. You can capture it in AP, you can capture it to switch. You have essentially a capture device at every point in the network and you can take a look at what's going on. But from every device, you can actually export those to CloudShark. Now you have to pay for the subscription for CloudShark, but from your whole infrastructure, I can be pushing and essentially have distributed capture across the entire network, push that to CloudShark. And then when something happens, go back there and have the PCAP essentially of, of everything that happened. It's actually one of the huge you know, positive features about what they're delivering by being able to A, capture anywhere. That's a hugely beneficial thing. I can see what the data looks like at the AP, at the switch and at the firewalls that leaves the network. Um, but then on top of it, I can, forward that from all of my branches into my one instance and, and have it in one place. And so that's a, a pretty cool feature. So uh, we talked about PCAPs and Wiresharks. Uh, what else? You know, I think another tool that I've kind of recently, um, I guess kind of, kind of coming back around to, um, and I was convinced um, by a blog post, um, I'm sure uh, most of the people who keep up with, uh, you know, with this podcast are, are aware of uh, Pete Welcher and, and um, uh, I was, I was reading, I believe it was in October, um, he posted a, uh, a blog uh, that was on the uh, Nick Craftsman website um, that was titled, what's your excuse for not using syslog? And through, uh, through reading that one and also uh, Terry Slattery, who, who's of course also with NetCraftsman, you know, reading through some of the, the blog posts that they put up about syslog, it was kind of that, that kind of, you know what, I don't, I don't, I don't do this enough. I, I don't, it is, it's a, it's a, one of those useful tools that's always in front of us. Um, it, you know, every system supports it. Uh, and, and I'm not, and I'm not using it when I need to. Um, so that's, that's one of those that I, I've begun using. Uh, it's, it's incredibly um, uh, useful. It's, it saved me quite a, saved me a lot of time. Uh, and, and, you know, we were talking uh, earlier about the power of regex. And I think that's really, that's one of those uh, other tools where regex is so important when you have uh, when, you, when you're using syslog to, to begin filtering out the, the, the fluff, right, so that you can get to the stuff that matters. Um, so that, that's, I think that's another tool that, that's really kind of uh, recently become important in my toolbox. It's amazing those old tools. Like I, I, so obviously we do a history of networking podcast, and as I talk to more people who've been involved with the creation of a lot of these, you know, technologies, some of these things that we see, oh, it's so simple and fundamental. Like they made the decisions for the reason that they did because it was, you know, the best possible way they could do it with the constraints they had. And the reality is that these tools that we have that have been around forever that all of us kind of go, ah, syslog. How exciting is syslog? How quaint. Yeah, how quaint. Yeah, like how primitive is that? I look at that and I say, well, we're not doing it right. No one's actually using it right. Like, I mean, if we actually yeah. used it and collected that data, now that's a big part of the problem, right? Like collecting the data is a big part of the problem because it's not just the facts. So you mentioned regex as like a method of, of kind of filtering out and finding the data that matters to you. Um, 
but maybe we should talk about, you know, some of the tools about where you can actually drop that syslog into, because I mean, you can just have like a server that you send it to and you use syslog against, or I'm sorry, regex against a file. But now we have some like these big data tools that help us uh, evaluate a bit better. Um, you guys ever use any of those? Um, so one of the tools we're, we're using uh, is Splunk. And I realized that Splunk, you know, it's looked at as something that's quite expensive and uh, oh, no, no, it's not looked at as quite, it is quite it expensive. Is. <laughs> there, there, there's no question about it. Uh, it's if a valuable not, tool, but it, it is, yeah. it, you pay dearly for it. And if you're not hurting for disk space, um, it's a great tool to, if you can, you know, put your entire environment syslog into, and then just do some data analytics from, from the one spot. Um, but the unique thing there too is uh, it doesn't just help the network team, but it helps the security team as well uh, because they, they, both both teams, you know, if you have separate teams, can dip in from the same pot, so to speak. So. But it does correlation, right? It'll it'll it take logs from your Active Directory, and it'll take logs from your firewalls, and logs from Everything. your switches and routers, yep. from your internet circuits, and it will coalesce all that into something more or less meaningful. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to tweak it and tune it for your environment, but it's a great correlation tool. Um, I had a CISO tell me once that Splunk is like crack. Like yeah. once you start, <laughs> you can't stop. Um, but there's a reason for that. It's yeah. because right. it's such a valuable tool. Right. right. Well, well, actually, going back to that first article uh, that, that, I, that I mentioned, uh, Pete's article, one of the things he mentioned was, you know, dumping syslog into something like syslog ng or, or, or some type of just standard syslog server. And then using because when you think about syslog, the, the, the problem with syslog, and I think the people the reason a lot of people avoid syslog is because it can be too much information. It's drinking from our fire fire hose. And that's what makes Splunk so valuable, right? But we can also make Splunk more valuable by looking at spending a little time in, in our syslog server before we ever send it on to, to Splunk and actually begin filtering a lot of that stuff that we, we, we know there's no reason for us to, to this, this, will, this, this particular, you know, um, um, event is never going to be needed by, you know, by Splunk. And if we, if we throw all of that into a standard syslog server, if we begin filtering that and then using that filtered output to fill, to, to push into Splunk or whatever other, you know, analysis tool that is available, um, we're, we're number one, saving, you know, saving our, our customers money, saving our, you know, our, our employers money, uh, because you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's a valuable tool and it's, and they and they're very aware of it um so we're saving money on that regard but we're also ultimately creating more useful data right and we're not we're not uh we're not trying to drink from a fire hose when when you know a garden hose or a glass works much better yeah um and you know so uh, yvonne was talking about the the correlation component of splunk and i think that's uh you know I don't think we can emphasize that enough. And so you're talking about, you know, getting the good data in, but then once the data is there, I just kind of want to bring up an example, something I used it for. So that same call center environment I was talking about earlier, uh, we had work from home call center agents that would log on, but this log on, like just because of the constraints of the customer was a little bit crazy, but like they would log on to a virtual desktop environment uh, but before they could actually fully get authenticated, someone at another call center had to validate that the picture that just took of them matched up with what their file picture looked like. It was like it was just a really weird system. But anyway, there was like 18 steps in the process that could fail uh, for, for a login. And of course, when things aren't working, it's just, I can't log in. That's all you've got. Right. And, so, and it's, of course, the network. 
Well, to be honest about it, like I worked several silos on this project. I worked on the system side, building some of the VDI stuff. I built some of the network stuff. And so like, I was like one of the few people. And so like, of course that means you're the person they call, right? Like, and I got tired of like having to dig to reach every one of these systems. And so I actually, I set up a free instance of Spark. I think, I don't know at the time, it was like 500 megs of data a day or something like that. I don't know what the cap is. There's a free version, or at least there was. Um, I set that up and I started pushing all the logs from all these different systems. So I had, you know, domain controllers and VDI servers and, you know, uh, firewall, uh, remote access VPN, uh, proxy systems and the authentication system, which was custom written. I had them push their logs to Splunk. And then all I had to do was search for that person's username. <laughs> in and amongst all the data. And I could see step by step by step in the process of, of everything that happened and where it might have, have fallen apart. And it was just, I, I, I did this on my own. And then I went and I showed my boss. I'm like, hey man, like I put this together. Like this is a thing of beauty. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah like, no, not admire it, but like, I just like I, someone else, like ultimately what I wanted to do is, you know, I think, I think there's a fine line between efficiency and laziness. Um, and I was going for maximum efficiency laziness fill in the word whichever one you want i don't want them calling me like right. you know like i want to move on to the next thing and so i wanted to empower our knock to be able to get some visibility into this without having to become experts in the firewall system the network and the vdi system and active directory and all the other things involved ultimately if they called me i wanted them to be like hey it stopped here <laughs> and like i can do something with that now and so i showed it to my boss more to get it out of my hands than to say oh look at what i did it wasn't two days later and there was a PO for Splunk. Like, I mean, it was just like no brainer. It was just that clear cut. And it, like I said, it's not, a, it's not cheap. So they went and they, uh, they went and they did that just because of the, the value of being able to correlate all that stuff. Now, if you don't want to spend the money, I've never used it, but I know there's an alternative. It's called the Elk stack. Um, I don't even know the components that are in it. ELK, you just have to Google it. It's Elasticsearch and something and something. I don't know. <laughs> Essentially, and what it is, is an open source stack of software that will give you something similar to Splunk. Um, you know, just like anything else, uh, you'll pay for it probably in time um, rather than money, but it's, it's out there and it's a, it's a resource. And I know it's really commonly used, so I don't want to like move on without mentioning it. Um, so I think there's one more thing that we have to cover uh, from our list here. And, and I think we would be, I don't think we'd be risked not to, uh, not to touch this and that's emulation. Um, so when I talk about emulation, being able to virtually emulate your environment and our tools here have gotten better over the last few years, um, but it's kind of been a struggle for quite some time. And so in this, I'm talking about things like GNS3 and Viral and EvenG and uh, even something like Packet Tracer. What do you guys use? How do you guys do emulation? Do you do emulation? And, and what does that look like? Um, so for myself, I use, you know, I'm largely using Viral. And I know there's a lot of people that, oh, there's so many problems. And I might be a simple person with a simple taste. Um, I, I really, frankly, have not had the, the issues that I've often heard talk about. I've probably only had to redo viral uh, maybe once. Um, and what's great about that for me is that I could just spin up a bunch of different, um, uh, uh, you know, devices and instances and kind of get a, a proof of concept going with, um, you know, lots of different um, areas of what Cisco has, you know, firewalls, routers, switching, and so on. Um, and then secondarily, um, I'll, I'll use uh, GNS3. Uh, it's, of course, you know, the much cheaper option. Um, <laughs> well, and I, uh, oh, oh, 
Yeah. No, I was going to say, um, you know, I um, got a copy of Antibal up and running on my Safari subscription back in December and uh, and stood up a copy of GNS3. No, not GNS3. Even G, um, you know, I used Vagrant to, to spin up some VMs. And the book told me how to do all that because I hadn't really used Vagrant before. But it spins up a bunch of Linux VMs, you know, stood up an Ansible VM. And I was able to build a very simple environment to allow me to do like Hello World Ansible stuff mm. um, with uh, GNS3 all on my MacBook. No. Even G. You keep saying it. <laughs> well, I mean, oh, even G is really new, right? Like we're relatively new. I guess, yeah. it, I guess it's a, an updated or a fork of something that was out there before. Um, it has a really nice like HTML5 GUI. Like you can do a lot of it from your browser. Um, and if you just really want to play around with protocols or you're, you need to, you need to, you know, is this going to cause a reconvergence event or is there going to be an interface flap or is there anything that's going to happen when I run these commands that uh, I need to anticipate? Um, it's a great tool to just mock up an environment. And, um, and you know, we, we know service provider guys who spin up, you know, 30, 40 virtual instances in GNS3 or even G to test, you know, service provider route filtering and things like that. So they're really powerful tools. Yeah. Do you know if EVNG is less intensive than uh, viral? You know, viral has a high bar for, you know, 30, 32 gigs of memory, you know, lots of it, processing power. And it depends on what you're running. Um, and so, like, all of this, it depends on the platform. Anything that's running traditional iOS, you're going to get similar performance out of GNS3 and viral. Like, you can run a bunch of instances there. Although viral has a hard cap that's like a license cap. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I've got a 16 gig MacBook and I had. 10 instances running in even G and it, it of, of, of traditional iOS. Correct. Yeah. Right. I've done as many as like 30 on a 16 gig MacBook yeah. pro of, of iOS. But then when you get into iOS XE, um, it tends to be that you need four gigs of memory per instance, I think is the, is the number Oof. there. When you get into iOS XR, I think it's 16 gigs of memory per instance. Wow. Um, it's, it's a lot. Um, and then we, you know, like all the platforms have their own, you know, unique requirements about what is required per, per instance. And so I don't think, um, you know, uh, I don't think that either one is better at being a performance hog or not. I think it really comes down to the images you're using. I want to talk about the images for a minute. It used to be a lot more <laughs> legally ambiguous, <laughs> right? Like, like you're not supposed to, you know, you're supposed to pay for Cisco software if you're going to use it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so now we're putting it in an emulator, using it, you know, we're not making profit off of it. Cisco seemed to turn their, you know, their back and not really, you know, make a big deal about it. But technically you didn't have a, have a right to that license to use it for that purpose. Then they came out with their own tool, actually had me really concerned about like the third party emulation market. Were they going to start cracking down on people and be like, hey, like you can't use that because you have to license it from us. Uh, that never happened. So I guess that was an unfounded fear. Uh, but still, the the reality is is that all these things now it's getting when I say it's getting a little bit less morally ambiguous or legally ambiguous is the fact that like CSR one thousand V there's a trial out for, and so you can run that and get like an iOS XE instance of of something that you could run as a VM on your own. Okay, cool. Like we now have that. That was actually one of the things I liked about Viral was specifically that it had all the different platforms, not all the different features, right? It, we're still at the point where layer two still has some pretty significant limitations because so much of layer two happens in the hardware versus what happens in software. And so emulating it in a software package is kind of difficult. Um, but, 
it's getting better, but to be able to go to a Nexus platform and enter my commands and something that receives them that way so that I know and verify that when I'm putting together my change script for my customer, that the commands I answered will actually be received by the switch correctly. Because like back in the day when all we had was GNS, I could enter my commands in iOS and then do the translation manually. Or if I had a physical switch, I could, you know, draw the commands on the physical switch, but I'm a consultant. I got nothing, man. <laughs> I can't go out of the sites. Like I know I have, I, I guess I have access to some lab gear, but it's not common or often. And so being able to emulate something, even just to validate the commands I'm putting in is something that's really valuable. But more often, like uh, we did a, a big WAN refresh for Fortune 500 and I built up uh, a mock-up of their entire environment. Now this was in GNS3 because it was all iOS devices and iOS XE. And, uh, and built it out and was able to run like a 30, that's where I did the 30 router environment and simulate some absolutely significant changes for them before we ever did it and run through a lot of the absolute minutia of that change. And it made a big deal. It was absolutely critical in the process. So, you know, I think it's one of those tools. Um, so, so I have a question for, for some of the viral users. Uh, when I think about uh, emulation and, and testing these changes uh, in the way we do, I feel like there's, uh, there's kind of two, two, two test methodologies there, right? The first one is, is how's the protocol going to work? How are the, um, you know, how, how's it, you know, exactly as, as, you know, was mentioned earlier, is the, is there going to be a reconvergence, you know, those, those types of things to test, right? And that's something we can easily test in GNS3. It's what I use GNS3 for, you know, how is this propagate? It's also going back, it's a great place where you can pull PCAPs from and, and, see, and see that stuff. But then there's also the, um, uh, you know, checking for bugs. So for, for so my question to the, to the viral users are, is that something that you see in the viral images? If there's no. a bug in it, okay. So, so no matter what, what we're really saying is, is when we do the emulation on, you know, when we do emulation, all we're doing is checking to see, does it work in the protocol the way we think it's going to, where the only way to really do bug checks, the only way to see does the feature work the way it's supposed to is on on the physical hardware yeah and we know how hard it is i mean even in a lab environment where you have physical hardware mm -hmm. you don't always have the same traffic right. right and so if your servers have something like multicast enabled and you're changing multicast on your network you know those are unless you're looking at the actual physical packets on the wire and you're really detailed on what you're looking at uh, there, there's, we've still got a long way to go as an industry to be able to effectively model those kinds of things. Yeah, modeling but, is definitely the thing that's coming, right? But even that, right. like, it's, it's still impossible to, well, I don't want to say impossible, but it's an incredibly difficult challenge to find and identify, find and identify bugs. It's just, man, you know, <laughs> that could be a whole other episode. <laughs> <laughs> really yeah, that, that could be like a war stories episode, like, <laughs> what, what, you know, the, the bugs that we've seen and experienced and lost sleep to. Yeah, I mean, that's the scary thing. Like, I, I, there isn't a change they go into. I mean, I could be 100% confident in config and protocol and all that other stuff, and I still will not give 100%. Like, I don't know what's really going to happen. I can't tell you with confidence. And that kind of is a sad statement about our industry and the quality of some of the stuff that comes out. There's, there's a lot of trade-offs in that, and there's a dynamic there that I don't think that gets considered when everyone has that conversation. It's incredibly difficult, complex software that people are releasing. Bugs will happen. Um, but yeah, it is, it is frustrating to say, okay, here we are, we're making a simple change in EIGRP or OSPF on a router. And all of a sudden, because of its interaction with some protocol or feature I'm not even using, 
the whole thing comes crashing down or there's a convergence event where it right. shouldn't have happened. Or, um, and you know, and meanwhile, the customer was just, Oh yeah, this is a really simple, simple change guys. Like you nothing to worry right. about. Let's do it. And then, uh, you know, it leaves yeah. eggs on our faces more than I would like. <laughs> One thing I do want to add, we've talked about emulation really a lot in the Cisco world, but with, uh, you know, GNS3 and even G, you can emulate, you know, Arista, Juniper, um, you know, all kinds of networking gear. So it's not, not just a central Cisco centric tool. Mm-hmm. Um, those you can, you can emulate all kinds of uh, OS's, NOS's. Yeah. There's uh you know, and I'm just going to bring this up. Um, it, like as, as, especially as we head towards disaggregation as well, <laughs> when our network operating systems are, are developed independent from our hardware, um, it, it becomes a lot easier to, to emulate as well. So I know Cumulus just did a presentation at, uh, at, uh, networking field day where they showed, you know, we can spin all this up and essentially when they build a network, they build it, they build all of it uh, for their customer in an emulation environment, get all the configs right. Then when the hardware shows up, they just deploy it. Like it's like, it's all already done because the network operating system is completely independent from the hardware in the sense of the way that it operates. You won't get the hardware functionality that you get out of hardware acceleration, but you can absolutely make sure and that would that would be able to find bugs in the software obviously not hardware bugs but software bugs are far more common you'd be able to find that in those types of things so it's one of those that's one of those perks of disaggregation when you look at it is that you know that software especially if it's running like just generic x86 with hardware hooks if you need it um like it's really quite powerful to go in and emulate that because you know you can set up a 50 60 70 you know node environment and have it work just just the way it's going to uh, just without the same hardware acceleration performance and, and work that stuff out. Uh, so guys, I think that that, I think we're going to have to wrap up there. Uh, but before we leave, I want to give everyone an opportunity to share where you might be able to find them. Uh, Hank, why don't we start with you? Okay. Um, you can reach me on Twitter at Hank Yeomans, Y-E-O-M-A-N-S, all one word, or uh, on LinkedIn with the same name. Excellent. JD? <laughs> So you can reach me on Twitter at subnetwork. Um, you can catch my blog at subnetwork.me. Um, and I will be at WLPC coming up in two weeks. Uh, if uh, definitely, if you see me, uh, grab me and, and let's, let's talk about this. Um, and uh, I'll also be at Cisco live in Orlando. So uh, see if you see me there, let's, let's, let's have a conversation. All right, Yvonne. Yep. Um, you can find me on the blog at esharp.net or on Twitter at sharp network. All right, I'm at BC Jordo on Twitter. You're gonna find me at my blog, jordanmartin.net. Uh, if you wanna find more episodes like this one, uh, you should head over to our website, thenetworkcollective.com. Uh, every single episode we've released is there. Uh, we'd love to have you engage and chat with us about this or other topics as well. You can find us on Twitter at NetCollectivePC. We're also on Facebook if that's where you prefer uh, to connect. Uh, you can also subscribe to our content. We are uh, on iTunes and all the other regular audio places and our videos are all on Vimeo. So you can go subscribe to us there as well. Thanks for watching and we'll see you next time.